0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by reporter Jeremy Wallace and staff writer Kayla Harris. They join the show today to talk about how a controversial Texas voting bill was defeated. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Kayla, how are you doing today? Oh, great to be with you.
1: Yeah, good. How are you?
0: i'm fantastic i read the (laughs) read the story and it just reads like uh i don't know like an aaron sorkin tv show like everything came down to the last minute here um uh who who can give me a quick just i know there's a lot to cover but let me as quick recap as as you can
2: well uh, let me let me start uh that it, it was really like an amazing you know basically 48 hours in the Texas Capitol. Uh, We're used to all kinds of dramatics at the end of Texas legislative sessions. But this was a little bit different. Uh, This, you know, you know, broke all kinds of records. And it started on Sunday or actually on Saturday when Republicans looked like they were headed for victory to get this elections bill out that a lot of Democrats were calling, you know, voter suppression. Uh, But when they rolled that final bill out, they had included some provisions that had never been seen before. And then they decided to give the Democrats no chance to really debate the thing in public, or at least in the daylight. What they did instead was had the debate in the Texas Senate on Saturday night into Sunday morning, uh, you know, This debate lasted till 6 a.m. And it included a new provision that particularly angered Democrats, which was, you know, all of a sudden, souls to the polls voting on Sundays, you know, during early voting would be moved back to 1 p.m. Would be when it would start. Of course, you can imagine the frustration that quickly rose when the Democrats started asking questions about where is this coming from? We had no hearings on this. This thing was dropped on us at the last minute. And that when it rolls into Saturday. And I think Kayla, you know, has a good kind of vantage point on what was happening in the House on Saturday when they saw all this stuff.
1: Yeah. So as this was kind of going on in the Senate, as, you know, debate was ramping up, whatever, uh, House Democrats were watching this unfold in the Senate. And they were also seeing the bill for the first time, most of them for the first time, uh, going through these provisions. And they were angered just the same. And so they had a... House Democrats had a caucus meeting on Saturday early afternoon. They kind of talked through uh, for three hours what they were going to do to kill Senate Bill 7. They, they knew that they didn't want it to pass. They just didn't know how they were going to do it. And so there were lots of different things that came up. They were saying, you know, we could call points of order, just procedural tactics to kill it. If, it, if they could get them on a technicality, if they could just run out the clock, the bill had to be passed by a Sunday Midnight deadline. Uh, they could just ask questions forever and, and keep talking. And then some people floated the idea of a walkout, but but it was not very popular then. There were so many downsides, which I can get into if you want me to, but there were there were a lot of downsides to it. This really never happens. It's it's a very last resort tactic. So after that meeting, just a handful of Democrats, about a dozen of them who were really into the idea of a walkout, they got together on a Zoom meeting, a couple of Zoom meetings that night and said, you know, I really think that this is the best option. This is a surefire way. This will definitely kill the bill if we break quorum. So let, let's see how we can make this happen. And over the next day, then they had another caucus meeting, uh, early Sunday, um, where again, chances of a walkout still looked pretty grim. Uh, House leadership or House Democratic leadership was not in favor of it, um, or they cautioned heavily against it. But then Black and brown legislators held their own caucus meeting at like 2.30 or so on Sunday, where they were all like, this is a bill that's going to really, really affect Black and brown Texans. This is going to affect people who look like us. This is going to really severely hurt our constituents. And so we need to do something. And this is when the walkout idea really, really gained traction. I'm sure everyone's heard the rest of it from there. Dade Phelan stops by a House Democratic caucus meeting later that night. He says, listen, I'm not going to lock the doors if you walk out, but we're going to take up election integrity at some point. So do what you want, but like it's going to happen one way or the other. Also, if you do it, it's probably going to come back worse than the one that's on the floor today. And Democrats said, okay. And then over the next couple of hours, they filed out of the chamber. They were gone by like, 1045. And that was it. Yeah, that was it.
0: You uh, you mentioned in the in the story, like I think one of the first things you mentioned is uh, Republicans sold this helped sell the seeds of their own defeat days, even weeks earlier. It was a session that I mean, Dade Felon was denied access and entrance into the Senate because he'd refused to wear the COVID-19 <laughs> thing, um, the COVID nineteen wristband. Governor Abbott resists call for special sessions as top Republicans clash. It was Was this one of the more um, chaotic sessions in recent memory?
2: Yeah, I I think that's a definite on that. I I talked to uh, State Senator Royce West, who's been in the Texas Senate since the 1990s. And he told me, it's like, he's never seen anything quite like this. This was, you know, completely a much more conservative session than he's used to. Uh, and certainly there's no senator who's ever walked out of the Senate at six o'clock in the morning after, you know, you know, an all night debate, eight hours debate, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning with nobody in the Senate chambers except for me you know, watching what they were doing. Uh, Me and, um, excuse me, the DPS officers. There were 18 (laughs) DPS officers watching me watch the Senate. (laughs) So it was a very unusual, you know, set of events. And I think, you know, and and what we were getting at with the idea that like the seeds of this thing was planted uh, so much earlier in the session, you know, like, you know, the, the you know, Republicans had an election bill that they were able, they were going to be able to get through. You know, they had, you know, the Democrats weren't happy about it. They had stripped out some of the most offensive pieces and, the, and it looked like uh, the Republicans were about ready for the victory lap. But then in those last couple of days, for them to throw in that souls to the polls provision, particularly, that just changed the entire tone of everything. And Democrats were going to accept some of that stuff. We're suddenly like, wait a minute. This is kind of like you worked with us all this process. You kind of gave us some ability to work with you. And now at the last minute, you're going to drop that kind of a bomb on us when we have almost no time to respond. And you could see even some of the senior, you know, senators in the, in the, uh, in Texas Senate, who normally don't say a ton were up on their feet and ready to fight. Like they all spoke, you know, all 13 members, which normally they don't do anything (laughs) in the great unison. But in this case, all 13 members took their chance to kind of slow this thing down and buy some time, uh, for what the house could do. And clearly the House, you know, put into overdrive and made this kind of a national story, if not international.
1: In the House, Democrats were, they were pissed off about all of the same things that Jeremy just mentioned. But for them, they were able to secure a couple of wins earlier in the process when the House had first taken up SB7 earlier in May. Uh, Democrats had identified a a fatal point of order on the bill and and that would just kill the bill, basically. But it was early enough in the process that there was still some time to... uh, bring it back if it did, if it did die on the floor that day. And so instead of killing the bill then and there, Democrats use that as an opportunity to negotiate some amendments to add to the measure uh, that would kind of mitigate its impact, they said. And so they did that, you know, they were saying we did that in good faith, whatever. Uh, When this bill went to conference committee, the Senate stripped out all of those amendments. And so House Democrats uh, said, we didn't kill the bill when we had the chance to kill the bill. We negotiated this, whatever. And look at the bill we just got back. It's 20 times worse than the one that we sent over. And you just clearly don't care about listening to Democratic voices and whatnot. And so that had really frustrated a lot of members who felt like they were able to put a little bit into that bill and just got absolutely nothing back.
0: I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk to you both of you as, as reporters covering this, is, is this exciting? I know it's a lot of work. Like what can you tell me about what it's been like covering it and to witness this kind of historic session here?
2: Yeah. If I can start off like the stress of this, you know, because we're dealing with such an important issue and it's easy to kind of get lost in the back and forth, uh, of the politics of everything. Right. But in this case, uh, I think knowing how important this is for humans back home, you know, the whole time I was thinking about, you know, this is really going to change people's how they vote. You know, it's like it doesn't matter if they're Democrat, Republican or independents or, you know, whatever, uh, how they fill out an absentee ballot, how they go to early vote, when they go to early vote, everything is going to change in that regard. And so uh, one, it, it gave us a sense of, I think, uh, You know, really needing to be on our toes and focus on this. And so, you know, for me, when they decided to, you know, start a debate on this at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday, a holiday weekend, mind you, uh, that, you know, I was like, look, we have to be there. This is just too important for too many Texans. There's 29 million Texans who cannot be here to hear what they're saying. And so, you know, you're right. It's like the thing that really kind of like, these are the things that drive us as journalists to make sure we're being the eyes and the ears of people who just can't possibly watch this. You know, I can't imagine anybody at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning during Memorial Day weekend saying, you know what, I wonder how my voting is going to change for the rest of my time on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's what exactly what was happening. And so it it felt good to be there and be a voice, you know, for the people uh, and kind of watching You know, everything that happened and even uh, the next day on the House, like our whole team, you know, was mobilized. We had people who were at the church. You know, we had people in the chamber. You know, I stood there and I watched uh, Dade Phelan come out of that caucus meeting uh, after he had you know, gone toe to toe with the Democrats trying to figure out what was about to happen. And so it's like I think there's a lot of excitement as a journalist to be able to, you know, again, be the eyes and ears of the community that we all kind of want to be.
1: Yeah, I endorse everything that Jeremy just said. And and I I was the one who went to the church. We got a text like, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes after Democrats had walked out, uh, just telling us the location of the press conference, which was 15 minutes away from uh, the Capitol. So I I I was in front of the Capitol at that time, ran back to our office, got all my stuff, ran to my car, and then drove over to the church. And so that's just kind of like a you know it's logistics and it's you're running from place to place but yeah it's this is our job and it's our you know it's just part of the the stuff that comes with it but then at the end of the day we are writing for a broader audience who isn't necessarily following this as closely as we are and it's just it's really a privilege to to tell these stories afterwards and you know have all of the the details that everyone else isn't necessarily privy to
0: You know, I get the chance to talk to a lot of um, really extraordinary journalists uh, doing this show, and I've gotten to ask everyone. Like, it feels like Texas, for me personally, has snapped back right back to where we were. I see a lot of people not wearing masks, and and I'm I'm curious to to know how has it been on the. um, in the state's capital, like what's it been like there? Has everything seemed to snap back? Or I see in photos of I, I see a lot of people not wearing masks. Are are you guys wearing masks? How how are y'all handling that?
2: Yeah, it, it was a real eye opening experience covering the Texas Capitol, right? You know, so so I uh, you know you can't go into an H E B or any restaurant without a mask on, right? But you know, down the last couple of weeks, for particularly. Uh the legislature didn't require anybody to wear a mask. In fact, I had some senators and house members come up to me when I was wearing a mask and saying, You don't you don't have to wear that anymore, do you? And I'm like, Well, I'm gonna wait, make sure more people are vaccinated before I go totally free without my mask. But like then, you know, even on those last couple of days of the session, you know, that all night session, uh, none of the, you know, DPS officers were really wearing masks, you know, no senators were, you know, most of their staff wasn't. Uh, and so it was kind of a, it felt like a different universe, you know, where outside the Capitol, uh, if you went into any retail store, you're seeing people wear masks, right? But inside the Capitol, almost nobody was wearing masks and the social distancing was completely gone. In fact, I couldn't even tell there was a pandemic, uh, in, you know, certainly those last 48 hours because I just, I couldn't tell you if I counted maybe five masks between the House and the Senate. Uh, the entire time I was there,
1: I don't really have too much to add because I've been working from home for most of this. Um, the press conference that I went to on the uh, on Sunday night when when Democrats went over to the church that was the first in person press conference that I've been to since uh, since I first started in this bureau, which was last August. And so uh, that that too that was outside though. Um, nobody was wearing a mask there. Everyone was kind of gathered. It, it really did seem like. the the before times, not to sound, you know, ominous or whatever, but but yeah, it it did seem like things were were kind of, um, not, not a pandemic.
0: And then kind of like the last thing I'll close out with is I'm, I'm super curious what collaborate collaboration with, between journalists means a lot of different things and a lot of different stories. I'm just curious what what collaboration meant for, for the both of y'all. on on this particular story.
2: Oh boy, like, I don't know if we could have survived without collaboration in this stuff, right? Because there was so much happening in so many different corners. Uh, So for us to all be able to kind of coordinate with each other, uh, you know, Kayla and I were particularly, like after uh, everything went down on Sunday, uh, we were scrambling all Monday, you know, trying to get to the, you know, the seeds of what had just happened. How did this go from you know, a, a certain Republican victory to a Democratic uh, route, you know, in terms of being able to defeat this legislation for now, at least. And so it's like that, you know, you know, constant, you know, texting and, you know, using you know things like Slack and we were in conference calls, like, you know, pretty much throughout the whole thing, trying to coordinate with not just ourselves, but the rest of our bureau uh, to make sure we could be in all the different places and share notes and share what each other, each other was hearing.
1: Yeah, uh, I was just going to say for this story, obviously, we, we were more tuned in, uh, than, than others, I suppose, on, on this particular issue. And we also just came out with uh, another piece kind of walking through all of those details on Saturday and Sunday that House Democrats were specifically going through in their plans to, to do this walkout. And so every single piece of this was just phone calls and, and texts and slacks and, Uh, I I can't even tell you the number of ways that we communicate with, uh, not only between the two of us, but with everyone has been pulling a 12 hour day or more for the past week, at least.
0: Well, I really appreciate y'all taking the time. I know we're probably going to talk about this some more at some point. This isn't the end of this. Um, but I really appreciate y'all's time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Louise.
1: Thank you.